0: welcome to coach club africa the home of heroes without the headlines i'm your host denny den hartog coach of coaches and co-founder of coach africa coach club africa is the podcast that promotes and nurtures coaching made in africa this is a community of african coaches and leaders with one thing in common the desire to grow their impact influence and income so that this powerful intervention called coaching scales across a bold new africa Join the community by hitting the subscribe button and watch those episodes coming to your feed as soon as they are available. And in the meantime, come on over and follow me on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Danny Den Hartog. Welcome to... Episode seven of the Coach Club Africa podcast, home to Heroes Without Headlines. In this episode, we'll talk about the latest developments in the coaching space in Africa and dive into what it takes to become a world class six figure USD coach in Africa. When preparing for today's interview, I read the following about our guests. No one has done more to spread the understanding and practice of coaching in Africa. Let me say that again and let that sink in for a moment. No one has done more to spread the understanding and practice of coaching in Africa. So I guess we can expect a little bit of fire today. And without further ado, I'm super excited to introduce our guest today. Our guest today is Nankonde Kazonde van den Broek an executive coach, development activist, and entrepreneur. She is the lead consultant at Nankonda Kazonda Consultancy and the founder and CEO at Zanga African Metrics. Following a decade working in international development and finance, Nankonda returned to Zambia to pursue her purpose and desire to contribute to her country's economy and the wider African development agenda. Over the last 10 years, she has coached over 700 clients across 30 organizations, seven out of 10 provinces of Zambia and five other African countries. Nankonde is a member of the Africa List, a group of future African leaders in emerging markets. Very warm welcome to Coach Club Africa Nankonde.
1: Thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, hello, everybody. Glad you could join us super excited for
0: this live edition this podcast is being recorded live so we have a live audience coming in so let's continue and Nankone, I would love to i would love for you to share a little bit about your own story and your development into this space because now you are one of africa's most well-known coaches and you are visible globally right you have really built world class a six-figure coaching business for yourself. But I assume that didn't happen overnight. So take us a little bit back on that journey and tell us a little bit about your own story, please.
1: Thanks. Um, Yes, it's interesting reflecting back now over this decade. I got into coaching almost accidentally, if I can put it that way. I I was on a trajectory of a career with the United Nations and I had a plan of where I wanted to see myself uh, rise to in the system professionally. I have a background in management and I was managing programs globally with different agencies. And it was really when I was going through a change in my personal life, when I met my husband and I became a mom and a wife, um, that professionally my career plan was now in conflict with my values Uh, family values. And as a result, I had to rethink and revisit what I was going to do. And it was very interesting because I then went through a coaching experience to help me appreciate the transition emotionally and mentally. And that helps me separate myself from my role. And this was really a game changer that continues to be one of the tenets of my coaching model. When I was able to appreciate that the I was just the current incumbent of the roles I was holding, I then was able to detach the two strategies. So the professional strategy that was tied to the organization I was working for and the personal strategy that was tied to the bigger picture of my other stakeholders, my family. And when I was able to do that, I was then able to reconnect with my identity, myself, because I had become my career. I had become that blue passport that walks through airports, um, sits in large meetings and flies around the world. I had become that. And whilst I enjoyed it, and I really am still a development activist, I had to separate the two. And that coaching experience then took me to, through a process of understanding the process and tools that really facilitate your acceptance and then your success in transitions. And then shifting through that uh, process, I realized that actually I couldn't go back to the the UN because all the roles that were now potentially possible for me to take on were lower than the roles I'd been doing. And so it really required a career transition, a shift. That shift took me into coaching and I've never looked back. I am humbled and thankful to God for taking me to this point in my life where I had to reconnect and find my identity. And I don't hide the fact that I'm a Christian and a believer. I work with many beliefs and uh, backgrounds. But that was really instrumental in helping me figure out my next steps. And that's how I got into coaching. My first client was a CFO who had been promoted to the position of CEO. And that transition from technical to strategic was very painful for him. And I took him through the process. I had by then done my first coach training with co coaching and then went on to do organization and relationship systems coaching, which is the organizational version of it, and found my place and space in organizational coaching, understanding organizational behavior, management, and leadership.
0: Wow. that is That is a super, super impressive story because... So many of us, we actually are impacted, right? Through the intervention. And we notice and feel that for ourselves what it has actually meant and how mm-hmm. it has enriched our life. And then we, we we do it ourselves, right? And we make it into a profession. And uh, I would love to to dive into these first days. Like you were talking about the uh, this first CFO client. Can you talk a little bit about how was that for yourself to, to kind of venture out into these, this new space? Do you recall like this the first year of, of starting your own practice? And yeah, what were some of the things that excited you in that time? And some of the things that you felt, oh, can I really do it? Or what uh, what was that for you?
1: Interesting, because I did my training, my first training in New York and my second in South Africa. These markets are mature when it comes to coaching. Zambia particularly at that point, um, was just discovering coaching. And in fact, one of the things I did was lead um, a survey to understand the landscape of coaching in the country. But it was very clear that um, I was dealing with a different environment. So coming in, culturally, it wasn't that accepted. So first of all, I'm a woman. And second, being able to go beyond the professional surface of the personal roots that are actually leading and manifesting the need for change, um, the discomfort in the situation and the transitions that my clients were going through was not that easy to get to. Um, And initially, culturally, I wasn't accepted. Um, Professionally, I wasn't accepted because most of the clients I was approaching were not, were weary about uh, getting to a space, a safe, safe space, uh, where you can go through a process to support uh, your change or your goals. And then professionally, a lot of the organizations, multinationals, uh, small SMEs, um, even the public sector, were skeptical. They were used to international coaches coming in. They were very happy to entertain my conversation, to share what I was doing. But I think they were just checking, who is she and what does she think she can do? And I was confronted by the fact that at that time, uh, and still to a certain degree, although we've made a lot of progress, coaching was new in Zambia, professional coaching. I think there was a lot of informal coaching being done. And like you said, a lot of people come into their coaching journey from different uh, aspects or different angles, and they're all valid. You know, who am I to judge? But what it did then was create And I think this is what happens in nascent markets is then you have this spectrum of counselors, coaches, psychologists, therapists approaching and not separating where maybe the organizational fit or the personal fit is in terms of their expertise and what they have to offer. So you've got this blend and myriad of all sorts of offerings that are trying to meet a demand that is quite clear and specific from an organizational perspective. And so going in, I had cultural barriers, I had gender barriers, but also I had um, reputation, credibility uh, barriers. And I was really coming against, uh, especially for multinationals and larger organizations, their parents' company would fly in coaches. So they'd bring in coaches from Johannesburg, from London, and they had their coaches on their books or from Germany. And it was really a question of, I need to prove myself. I need to be professional, and I also need to start understanding the landscape. I think when I took that approach, from every client, I started to learn. And so even the first CFO I worked with, it was partly education, not promotion, because I had to sort of share, based on what he was going through in his technical to strategic transition, What, how I could support his goals. And for me, that was at the heart of coaching the client's agenda. It wasn't my agenda. And when I was able then to speak to the issues, I was then given a second meeting and a third meeting. And so my first year was very interesting, very fragmented. Um, And I was coming in, starting a business from scratch. So you go through all the compliance um, uh, registration processes um, because companies, when you apply, want to see your paperwork. And I was coming in as a consultant. Um, Some were happy to just hire me, but others needed paperwork to register. Um, I didn't have, um, didn't plan this. So I didn't have runway. I didn't have cash flow to carry me six months as I'm going around um, taking proposals. And I remember about Piri, um, this uh, taxi guy, Mr. Piri, and he's still with me today. I, even though I have a driver now, um, I still give him work. He was one of the first. He would take me to submit proposals. And, you know, in those days, hard copy or going, you get email, but they still want something delivered. He would take me and there'll be times so where I couldn't pay him. Um, and he's like, "No, I know you. You the way you're writing these proposals and where we're we going, I'm sure one somebody is going to answer." Wow! Um, and sure enough, they did. My breakthrough was um, FNB Bank in Zambia, uh, First National Bank, which is part of the first round Group, the South African uh, leading bank, and they gave me a chance because they had their coach coming in from uh, headquarters who didn't do anything wrong but miscalculated the culture. And as a result, the impact, of the feedback was not sustainable. They weren't quite seeing the results. And when I came in, I came in with this different perspective of having had international coach training, but being an African and a Zambian woman uh, who was able to speak to the cultural issues and understand and read through some of the more subtle nuances in communication that would help me unpack the real agenda in the conversation and that was it. Once I had uh, FNB on my books, I had a reference. So everybody else I went to, I put. I have clients such as FNB. Nobody knew that that was actually the only big client I had. And that year was really uh, changed because of that one client. But it took a lot of proposals talking, moving from just promoting, coaching, understanding, coaching to educating. And that's where I realized that I'm also building the profession as well as building my business.
0: I love that. In your first year, did you ever have the feeling like, oh, maybe I should give up? Maybe this is not for me. Maybe like, you know, did you feel that at any point or were you so convinced and so focused on getting that client, that first client that you pushed through?
1: That's so funny, Danny, because even last week I was feeling like giving up. <laughs> that doesn't go away <laughs> and gets frustrating. <laughs> yes. And you know, it's interesting because some of the strategies I used in the first year, you know, I eventually got that uh, big client, but I soon realized that I need vehicles, I need entry points because it was frustrating. And whilst I was trying to push the coaching practice, I did take other work. So I would do facilitates workshops. And I would support consultancies where I did some management uh, uh, reviews. And that was all to sustain me and keep me going. And so even when I reflect back to that, what is now a six-figure business, it started with one figure. And that one figure didn't come from coaching initially. It was what I could do to actually bring in some income. And as I started to do that, I realized that, okay, it's frustrating. I'm not getting the clients. So I still need to work. I'm coming into the Zambian market through this profession. I've been in the diaspora. I've come home. That's already another angle. And as I was going, it was frustrating. So I realized sometimes you need to think more broadly about how to enter the market or position yourself. And I aligned with different groups. So I actually managed to get some work with two recruitment firms that were supporting uh, development also for organizations. I was a consultant on their books. And it was really good because whilst I was facilitating and consulting through them, it gave me exposure. It helped me understand how to pitch, how to frame the conversation. And clearly I was coming in with my expertise. So I was adding value to them, but and it taught me a lot. So working with others, collaboration and partnerships were quite key from the beginning. And that is something that has continued throughout the business. There are so many points where I wanted to give up and in giving up, it's so hard, you know coaching is is almost like your a purpose to me. It is my mandate. it is my assignment. And so even through the hard days, I would find myself finding it very hard to to do something else. I would find myself understanding that, okay, so even this is going to take some work. and I was committed and dedicated to it, and that really helped my resilience.
0: What drives you currently? Like what has made you push forward? Was there? What is your bigger, wider?
1: I think it's just, it, it, it's self-awareness. It has been able to, over the years, understand my strengths, who I am, and why that is authentic to me and unique and has helped me not have competition. So I don't compete with others because my self-awareness makes me appreciate that each one of us is here for a specific reason. There is a a reason why we think the way we do, why we attract the type of people we do, and why we're here at this point in time. And for me, really tapping into that helped me appreciate that there's a bigger picture behind this. And I've always, and I think it comes maybe from my family. I was, you know, I'm, I'm born into a family of civil servants. So serving, service to the nation, to community, to family, was always something pronounced in our home. And so I come from a perspective that my role and contribution to humanity is possible. And wherever I am placed, I am placed to thrive and enjoy and live a fulfilling life, but to do it in service and in collaboration with others. And I think that has really driven me wherever I go. I see connections. I see how to connect dots? How to bring things together? I'm a systems thinker, and maybe that transcends also so many other areas.
0: And that collaboration is, is is so key, and I, I think that's appearing to be kind of a red line in in like a, a common ground in, in most of the interviews that I've I've had. I think if we look at the coaching space, and I would love in a minute to have your take on that, like how do you see the coaching space on the continent currently? But from what I've what we are seeing with Coach Africa, and what I've been seeing is you know, it, it, there, there's a lot of development that will take place over the years, and there's no point in really seeing each other as as competitors, as fellow coaches. Right. Like we can use a collaboration in order to to collectively grow the pie together rather than to v- divide a few crumbs of uh, if you look at the uh, at the size of the uh, the coaching space versus uh, other continents. So let, let us dive a little bit into what, what do you think is has happened recently on the in, in the space uh, on the continent and where do you see what, what is next for coaching in
1: Africa? Yeah, very interesting question. You know, when we were, when I was starting, you know, over a decade ago, I was able to work with some like minded people. I met uh, Mongezi Makalima in uh, South Africa from the Africa Board for Coaching Consulting and Coaching Psychology. I met uh, some great people, Jibola Pone from Nigeria through the Financial Sector Deepening Africa Executive Coaching Advisory Board that was then set up and we were part of the first founding board and I was the chair, first chair for that. And it is now the Africa Executive Coaching Council. Now, what you see and what has led to that is that clearly there is a distribution of uh, progression in the coaching profession across the continent. There are certain markets that are more um, developed and advanced because where they are in their development as an economy actually allows them to invest in people in different ways. I think the priorities then shift because when you're putting into place infrastructure From a development perspective, your priority is to get access. And I always describe this, you know, through development programs, I've shifted from building physical infrastructure to mental scaffolding and infrastructure. So you need that physical foundation, you need that infrastructure. And so what you'll see across the continent is that the different levels of progress speak to also then the ability to go on to invest into people. And people beyond technical skills and competencies, people into strategic agent, change agents and transform transformers and catalysts. And I think that's where we have seen a change across the continent. So when we started, we were really trying to put forward that one of the key game changes on the African continent is going to be the people. It is going to be understanding people, being aware of our environment and context and also enabling everybody to lead at whatever level they are and giving them the skills and the knowledge to do it. But we are all, most of us, Western trained. So we're all using tools, methods, and models um, that have been developed in the West. And this is good because it's international best best practice. It's documented. It has given us vehicles and information and knowledge that is very powerful. And so initially, we were working with a lot of the acquired uh, uh, knowledge and we and I would say different countries were making progress in the acceptance rate of coaching to be a catalyst for development at a personal, professional and leadership um, level. So if I take Zambia, for example, we were coming from very little knowledge of professional coaching, being somebody who has trained, has gone through certification processes and goes through continuous supervision. Whereas in South Africa, Nigeria, the, you know, Kenya there were many more coaches who had gone through this process and partly because they have training schools for coaches where you have investments in coaching, you will find training schools. Then that's in the more progressive markets, meaning there is a, a de- there is a supply and demand. There is a supply of people who are available and wanting to professionalize, but then the the, the demand for actual places to train is higher than the supply. And so What you'll find across the countries and what we've seen is that as the coaching training opportunities increase, so does the professionalization and promotion and education and awareness of the impact of coaching. Um, And now, even now, you know, digital transformation, we're in a technological age. Online training has really increased and given access. So we've shifted from providing opportunities to train to now looking at quality and quality of coaching and impact. And that's a beautiful space to be in because across the continent, we are now able to see the coaches who have trained and are now appreciating the continent and the dynamics and environment and are able to blend that into unique coaching models that will now be birthed out of the continent and exported internationally. And really that is where I am right now, looking at how do we bring together African thought leadership around coaching and, and the development from an organizational perspective, management and leadership development, because that's my space. But it also speaks to personal development because both aspects get uh, impacted. How do we do that in a way where we can capture, we can share and export? And being able to have worked on the uh, two boards in South Africa and Kenya was then meeting the like-minded people who were doing in their markets what I was doing in Zambia, and then coming together to say, let's take it beyond. This space is huge. The opportunity is massive. We're going to be 3 billion people by 2050. You know, the pie, it's not even about the pie. The pie is huge. And each one of us has a unique perspective and a unique way that we approach our coaching tools and methods. You and I can do the same training, Danny, but how you will deliver it and how you have your coaching sessions will be different purely because when you understand that what you prefer to do as a coach and what your market understands and accepts from you is different. You start to create and learn and from feedback, create your own unique coaching process and models. Even if you may not give it a name, give it a process. You are actually already stepping into your authentic space as a coach, and that space is unique to you. And there. And I always say, your clients are not my clients. And so this idea that, yes, at a certain level, we are in the same industry. And so there is a size of that market. But within that, there's also different pull factors and push factors that determine why you get certain uh, market share and why I get uh, another size to it. So, from the business of coaching, it is not a question of quantity; it is a question of quality. Work on yourself, develop yourself, continue to immerse in learning and practicing, and build the practices that will actually express the unique thought leaders and models coming out of Africa.
0: There's so much value in everything that you say. What I'm hearing is it's it's about quality and not about quantity, and about collaboration and not about just going. You know, just competing with with the other coach that that you're uh, following on social media. What are they doing? What are they doing? But actually, you know, staying your own course, developing your own processes and you know focusing on your own uh, own success when we look at the different niches and uh, let's look at executive coaching life coaching uh, different different types of uh, of interventions where where do you see the opportunities in in Africa because it's uh, there's a lot of uh, attention especially within um, obviously the organizational context for uh, for executive coaching but how about the other interventions and what what do you see happening there
1: interesting my first training was um, personal coaching life coaching all right um, my second, and where I have found my space, is in organ- organization and in executive. But even in organization and executive, I go back to my foundation of personal coaching and what I learned there about people transformation and psychology, you know, the how people change and what they experience. So I think from the personal coaching perspective, if you look across the continent, you will see this uh, shift into an increased awareness around a well-being and well-being that transcends every level and that's so at the individual level there is more access to information and, the, and and you know the internet has done a wonderful thing for 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 I think for the world but particularly for Africa where we now have access to so much information being a very much oral society, but now getting access to documented and being able to document and put out to, to the world. And when I say the world from Africa, I also think across borders in Africa, not even just exporting to North and Western hemisphere, within Africa, from me Zambia to Kenya to Ghana, we have more information about our lifestyles. We're getting more information as our our economies develop. And I know there's still some, there's different rates of, you know, uh, development. But as you see the middle class growing, as you see economies growing, you see differences in priorities and spending patterns. And with that increased, um, in in that shift, personal coaching is gaining momentum. Because out of that sort of globalized uh, economy, what we're finding is that Culturally and traditionally, we are also seeing the evolution of our cultures and finding ways to coexist in this new world whilst maintaining our culture, traditions, and heritage. And so that story, and I, I refer to myself as an Afropolitan because I can't deny the fact that I am influenced by my exposure and uh, and my lifestyle speaks to both cultures. So when you see that shift and growth, you see people then. Finding different experiences and challenges in their own transitions, personally, in in terms of still trying to find what has never changed, which is, at an individual level, fulfillment. Define success. Understand how to deal with emotional uh, scars and patterns in their lives that are not yielding the results they want to see. That will never change. Now, the world and the environment we are uh, addressing those challenges in is changing, which means then the nature of the skill sets that are coming forward to support personal change are also growing. And that's where the personal coaching and life coaching space is developing. And so I've seen so many coaches, whether it's financial coaches, whether it's health coaches, whether it's um, transition coaches, personal transition coaches, Every area is developing its own niche from a coaching perspective at a personal level, and it's so interesting because I have a personal coach, and I've always had uh, 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 that support. Um, I've had it professionally in terms of supervision, but I've had it personally in terms of me, uh, where you know what what am I experiencing, and and uh, how do I process? Uh, and so, from a personal space, I think it's it's only growing and that's the beauty of it in the sense that whatever space you're operating in your passion and purpose has a place and that passion and purpose will thrive if you want if you want to build it into a business but those are two separate things being having a passion about coaching and an area that you feel called to is different to then running a business and so i think what'll happen is that those opportunities to coach niches will continue to increase from a personal perspective but those who go on to establish themselves and build that into a viable business will be those who understand the difference and take the steps to actually recognize that i'm an entrepreneur
0: yes absolutely and on, on the latter i would absolutely uh, love to take a little bit of time to to explore that because you know a lot of us are so passionate and we've just talked about it a little bit. We are so passionate about the intervention called coaching. And this podcast is actually intended to celebrate coaching, right? And and the, the heroes, well, what we say, behind the headlines. Because a lot of us, we serve, we serve, we serve our clients, sometimes to the extent that we disregard our own well-being right you've just talked about well-being that that we basically burn ourselves out and i would love to understand from you like what uh what have you done to build that entrepreneurial side of you was that were were you born entrepreneur or have you done specific things to build that entrepreneurial muscle and to build that six-figure coaching business so what, what are some of the secrets that you have done there
1: Interesting. I'm not sure if I was born an entrepreneur and being born to civil servants, you know, and and I remember my parents, you know, when we're going to university, the options were do law, accounting or medicine. You can do anything you want, as long as it's law, accounting or medicine. So then you can understand we've been wired to be employees and work for somebody else. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I I think there's a lot of joy and um, success uh, through that. I'm just trying to share that I wasn't prepared to work for myself. Um, I think from my past experience working in organizations helped me understand structure and discipline, deadlines, delivery, quality. There's so much I take from my previous uh, roles within organizations. And what I had to then understand was, okay, at what level do I have the most impact? Who seems to be my, who's my client? And how do I then uh, align my coach training to be more deliberate and strategic in servicing who I believe is my initial client. And because of my management background, my client initially, I thought uh, from the personal coaching when I was moving into executive coaching, because there's so much growth in that space across the continent, I thought my client was the C-suite. And I had trained towards that and went on to do my master's in coaching because of that. Then I realized that actually, the group that I want, I, pref- I want to develop and work with is not the group where I'm getting the most business. So it's interesting. And from a business perspective, I then had to start understanding what's happening because I'm having impact in people's lives in the, uh, in, in the context of my clients. But at what level am I getting recurring business? Uh, and how much are they paying me for it? And how much have I costed it? And I started to then understand that you need to count the numbers. You need to understand your cost of providing programs. You need to understand how much you have invested in the programs. You know, course training and certification is expensive. In the first five years, I think I spent probably up to to, $10,000 to get my credentials, my first certification, then do the ICF accreditation. In the last seven years, I spent another €40,000 doing a specific master's in coaching that um, Oxford University and HEC Paris uh, joint program do. And that was a deliberate internationalization strategy. That was a game changer. But I was able to do that because I initially I understood the importance of credentials, the importance of a badge in this profession, to be able to then, when I submit proposals, to separate myself from the other applications because then there's a quality assurance. There's an right idea that if this person is credentialed or has a qualification, um, to a certain extent, there's some rigor in that process. And even in the way you present your proposals, there's a way that in coaching, you're almost a consultant. So the way you do the project management of the delivery of the coaching intervention is, is, is a project and it's managed. So I started to understand that, okay, I've done my training. I understand where I'm having impact. Um, but now I need to package, I need to prepare everything like a project, and I need to cost it. That was the business side. Then I started understanding, wow, I haven't been costing anything. I just go. <laughs> when they tell me um how much I should charge, I asked a few colleagues, what do you think? Mm. Um, but I never put it as a measure to myself. And then I had a conversation um very interesting with my husband, and he said to me, This hobby of yours, yeah, you're going out to meeting people <laughs> doing it. <laughs>
0: somehow there's
1: no money coming coming in. Which he says, it's okay because you enjoy what you're doing. But they just wanted to let you know that this is a hobby. And I was offended by that. But what he was trying to say is that you need to get with the business side of this. You need to understand that you have now got a level of traction. But if you don't make that shift to understand what you need to learn from the business perspective, you will always have this dilemma of... Being satisfied, getting good feedback and still coming home and feeling, but why am I still struggling um, as as a business and why am I doing other things to, to make income? So I had to learn the business side. And one thing I think is interesting, which was a game changer for me, was I signed up for an incubator, an entrepreneur incubator. I went in and it was interesting. I was the only coaching business in the incubator, but they taught me the business bootcamp. I then started understanding, gosh, refine my customer. This is when I learned. Although I'm an executive coach and positioned to the C-suite, the majority of my clients are not there. My actual brand and niche is middle management. That's where that transition from technical to strategic and my specific tools, the way I coach, is having the most impact. And that's where I started then focusing my uh, coaching training into packages and targeting it towards those specific clients while still addressing business from others. I will tell you about 80% of my uh, executive coaching practice is financed by the middle. And when wow. you start understanding these things, you put the numbers together, then you realize that from the coaching um, uh, financially, there's the, uh, the what I, and I don't like to use the word cash cow. But you need to understand that there's the revenue driver, the key revenue driver, and then there's the other services that come out. So if you map your core coaching package um, and uh, pricing, there are services that come out that complement what you um, can do as far as you feel comfortable to stretch. And that's where I went into change management also, because I realized that I'm coaching these individuals, but I'm sending them back to what I call the scene of the crime. They're going back to the organization where they go back into the same space. So I started to get involved in interventions around organizational change that really helped boost my um, opportunity and offerings and what I could then do. And when I did the coaching masters, it was really to expose me to an international network evolve and improve my knowledge of the latest trends, information on management, leadership, and coaching, and also consulting. And really then anchor myself and position myself to be an African global coach based in Africa. It also allowed me to add a few more zeros to my fees, and I can't complain about that. But what it did also was gain me international attention. And through that, I met Marshall Goldsmith, who I have since been Um, privilege to be mentored by. And he said one thing to me. He said, um, which has always stuck with me, you've got to find the right clients. Not every client is yours. Some clients can be wrong. They can seem like they're right for you, but know who your client is. Because sometimes, you know, the the coachee is not ready. Uh, And so know where you have the most impact. Continue to serve. Be generous. Always actually collaborate with others um, share your knowledge share your experience share your time because <clears throat> as you build the networks you also ex- increase your visibility and that has really helped me but I must say you've got to count the numbers you've got to structure the business side of it you've yeah. got to be strategic about your pipeline at any given time I have a pipeline of clients that I'm working I'm quoting, Um, and most of the time most of my business at this stage is referrals. I don't apply for work. If I'm interested in something in a pipeline, it's because they're trying to do something I'm curious about and I want to be part of it. But most of my business is recommendations referrals,
0: yeah. How about it that you mentioned a couple of things, and this is such a rich conversation, so I will not even try to <laughs> to be complete in, uh, in to to summarize. but what i what I've heard is you you mentioned around, Things like structure, discipline, you know, processes, strategic pipeline, like strategic investments in a sense like, okay, you have uh, consistently invested in yourself, but you have not stretched yourself to the extent that you have limited your capabilities to actually grow with your business, right? Because that 40,000 was coming way later in in your journey, right? The 10,000 was uh, the first five years, but that 40,000 is... You have built up your revenues to the extent that that was actually possible, right? So, yeah. uh, so what are the, some of the the habits or, or, or rituals uh, a coach in Africa should have in order to, to get to six figures?
1: I think you need to be clear about your value proposition, your unique coaching uh, offering, who you are as a coach, and what you offer. And I think it's almost like you have your own theory of change. When you walk into the room, when you work with these people, this is what happens. And so you need to be clear about that because, and that gets refined over time. And so never, always take feedback, always understand because what you're thinking and what people are saying to you is letting you understand how they're receiving you and where you're having the most impact. And then I would say the next thing is continue to invest in your learning. Continue to focus on new skills, whether it's short courses, webinars like this. Certifications programs continue to build yourself because as you do that, you continue to actually now uniquely position yourself for different types of opportunities and then structure the business contracting from a coaching perspective is so important. The coaching contract, what you put in it, what you uh, agree to deliver, and what you actually deliver. I discovered over time can sometimes be different. I've had situations where I've signed a contract with a client and I haven't delivered. And at the end, I said, actually, don't pay me. You know, your reputation is important. And so your integrity is important. And so I didn't feel that I had delivered what I had sold fully. And as a result, I decided not to get paid. Obviously, you don't want to be doing that too much. But your reputation is important. And people talk. So when you've done an intervention, a lot of the um, recommendations and testimonials come from the people you've worked with. And so this is an area I'm still learning Collect testimonials, but also always ask at the end of intervention, is there somebody else you would recommend that I could potentially work with? And so structure your business, get your contracting right, but get your numbers right, your fees. What I did was I actually calculated from a budgeting perspective how much I would like to earn. And I then over the years have worked up to even surpass it. But you've got to have that target. So if I want to earn, you know, $5,000 a month, or $10,000 a month, you actually have to do the numbers. So you have to actually realize, okay, so if I'm offering coaching, if I'm doing workshops as well, and if I'm doing consulting, from those combinations, how much do I think I can get and how much should I charge to come up to that $5,000 figure? And that's how I used to do it. I would have a target for myself and I would know, okay, I need 10 coaching clients and I need 10 clients of this type. Maybe if it's any, and this is how I switched from B2C to B2B. Because going with individual customers, the traction and the flow was slower because I was still trying to educate and create increase awareness around coaching. But from organizations, you have one contract and you have 10 people to coach. So then the volumes started to, to make sense. But you can have a combination. All of these combinations and opportunities are about where can you, uh, how do you make up your desired income? And be clear when you get to the stage that you're running a business then you need to pay yourself a salary and you have overheads to cover. And as I was growing, then I had to bring in a team. So I have a, a staff who supports my ability to de- deliver because then there's certain things that I don't do anymore that the team helps me with. Then you've got people to pay. You've got compliance, regulations, you've got taxes. So it's important to start understanding from the business perspective, but have a goal and a target. And what used to drive me was, okay, so I had that financial target. I missed it for the first, first second year, then the third year suddenly you're starting to get closer. You're starting to get closer and you realize, okay, this is possible. I will go months where my assistant wouldn't get paid, would get paid, but I don't get paid because I had a responsibility and I get frustrated. So then I would start looking at other things to do and it's okay to even take temporary part-time work as you're building, but know that over time, the amount of time you shift and the percentage of your time spent in the coaching uh, business increases. So it's okay and understand it's not going to happen overnight and totally. You just make that shift and eventually you find yourself, I'm coaching 50%. I'm coaching 70%. I'm actually coaching now 100%. I'm doing workshops in this space. I've now created opportunities and speaking events where I can go and talk about what I'm doing. So collect data. One of the value propositions, especially in coaching in Africa, is understanding, and there's a growth in this, documenting impact. Understanding the data that we have about how people shift, how people change, how people define success and, and what tools work well to help them get to those um, points. So the future for coaching in Africa is documentation. It's bringing in thought leadership and the models that make us unique, understanding our context and environment. It's data. All that information in the coaching sessions is your data. My master's dissertation was done on F&D as a client because I was learning too much. And I realized, let me do some research. I got a loan to pay for the fees and let me do some research. And I was able to actually capture what I was learning from all those years of coaching for FNB. And now I have data. So when I even go into sessions, when I even go to meet clients, I have the understanding of what was the shift? What are the kind of behaviors that we are addressing and dealing with that will have the most impact? And so be strategic in your business. Technically, Be strategic operationally and be strategic financially. And then finally, all of this can happen if you're strategic personally and take care of yourself and understand that even you are not 100% every day. So manage your energy, manage your time, take care of yourself and take care of your family. Because even throughout this process, my family also suffered because when I was building the business, I realized that the opportunities outside Lusaka Across the country and outside Zambia, so it meant I'm leaving the home. I'm traveling, and so even in these conversations, I had to discuss with my husband to understand that okay, you know, from a, my perspective, I'm building this business and uh, I'm going to have to travel, and so those times as well, there's a cost in that, and so you've got to determine, you know, what price are you willing to pay? And from a coaching perspective, even coach, coach, coaching yourself or get a coach even better to support your own personal transition into success. I will always say I was never ready for the success I'm experiencing in coaching. You know, we can have tools to help people get through challenges, disruption, but we also need tools to help people understand success when you actually achieve what you planned. It's a different mindset and framing. I wasn't ready for this, so I can't lie. Even now, I'm adjusting.
0: What a rich conversation. you have you have been playing a long game, From what I'm hearing, like you have been strategic. You haven't, you know, uh, sacrificed your integrity for short-term gains. You have been really planning towards your success. And I think I hope everybody that is listening can hear that success doesn't happen overnight. Like if you hear the journey, you can actually see that this is hard work. It's harder work than even. <laughs> then there's a lot more that that you you're not seeing. We we have even have been talking about that just prior to uh, to this conversation, but it's necessary in order to uh, to build what Nankunda said. What price are you willing to to pay for for the growth of your coaching business and for you to really you know build the uh, the empire of your your dreams? So I, I want to ask a little bit a sensitive question to kind of uh, wrap up because clearly I'm not African, right? But what I'm hearing a lot is I'm hearing that question. As an African, can I build a six-figure coaching business in Africa, right? Like, is that even possible? It seems that there's a lot of beliefs that is that even an option, right? You have proven that it's possible, but what would you tell to to everybody that is kind of having that second doubt in themselves? What would you say?
1: I would say that it's very possible. In fact, at some point, I was the saboteur to the success my own fears my insecurities that who am i to have this business and build this business and work with these clients i i still walk into meetings uh, with executive teams and i'm self-conscious <laughs> so that gremlin that voice is still there but i always remember i think who am i not sue you know um and <laughs> good one and if not me then who and I get that confidence and I understand, I stand in my authority uh, as a believer, but also I stand in my investments in myself. I also would say, you will get some things wrong. Learn to accept feedback and learn to uh, uh, play fa- failure. Know how to play with failure. I call play with it because then you're, you're learning from it. You're still addressing it because you will fail, but you've got to be in it for the long haul. This is a... a, a Uh, an investment that has like Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, that suddenly you start to see the exponential returns on what you've done. And it happens very subtly, which is why putting the structures and systems in place for the business is important because you need to start capturing and recording the progress and the financial health of the business. But as you're doing that, also recognize how your tools and your learning Are improving your offering and what you do and because what you do and coaching so much close to who you are, I think it's a, it's a growth game. It's a growth profession. It's an area where you both grow. And I've always said, I've always been my first client. I continue to be 10 years down the line, my first client. And so you grow together. And the beauty of this profession is that there's so much alignment with creating the sense of fulfillment that you're looking for, but there is work. And like any profession, success is not easy. You have to put in the work. And I think about Marshall Goldsmith's latest book, The Earned Life. He talks about inertia. You've got to put in the work. You've got to understand that, yes, I will need to put myself out there. Yes, I will need to do things that are outside my comfort zone. But there's a difference between me, remember, and there's a difference between the role of a coach. These are two different people. And understand what each one needs to be successful. And each one needs to find peace and fulfillment. And every season has new opportunities, but your consistency in your journey and having a vision of where you see yourself as a coach in five years, 10 years, the kind of clients and level and income you're looking for is important. That vision is your anchor because that's your guiding light. That's what you're working towards. I've had a vision for my business. I've had a vision for myself and my family and my contribution Uh, And I really see my my practice as my contribution to development. And with that, whenever I get challenges, I have those anchors that pull me through. I still have periods where I actually have to take time out, but I always come back. Keep coming back because it does pay off.
0: And you can absolutely do it, right? Yes, you can do it. If we believe it, we can pull it off.
1: I totally believe it. And I have a network of coaches across the continent who also are my support system.
0: Yeah.
1: Talking to Danny. Danny, just before we joined, we were talking about how to help me in some areas. Um, so, you know, the coaching network, the fraternity is also a support system.
0: Absolutely. Nankonde, um, I'm almost speechless. <laughs> it was a, was a great conversation. And uh, I'm sure everybody like, I want to end with one final question. Uh, Nankonde, if I may... What's the best thing about coaching for you like what is what is the thing that that makes you smile makes you light up mostly what, what is that
1: Last month a coaching client who I haven't spoken to in a while and I, I supported five maybe four five years ago sent me a message he told me where he is today and he told me why and he said thank you For me sometimes you're in the session it's not your agenda you you get feedback but trust the process do your thing you don't know how you're impacting. Uh, And sometimes you don't always get the feedback and uh, and that's the the profession. So getting that uh, message really validated me in a way that I felt gave me the fuel to continue, but also showed me that, you know, coaching, you have to learn to give thanks yourself. You don't have to wait for validation. Have that satisfaction that you are doing something that is transforming lives, that is changing a continent that is contributing to a world that is no longer uneven because COVID has shown us that we're all develop- we're all in a developing country at just a different degrees. And so nobody has the monopoly on success or knowledge. So play your part. Playing my part gives me much joy.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Nankonde, Kazonde, Vandenbroek, for this incredible interview Everyone, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Coach Club Africa, the home of heroes without the headlines. I'm your host, Danny Den Hartog. If you enjoyed this episode, please do follow Coach Club Africa on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify and leave us a great review. You also want to listen, by the way, to the next episode with a Breakfast Club Africa CEO, Dr. Modupe Taylor-Pierce, which is going to be exciting. So thanks again for tuning in and have an amazing day. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Coach Club Africa. I trust we have inspired you today. Please follow this podcast so you will not miss out on future episodes. And do share the podcast with other coaches and leaders and leave us a review. This podcast is powered by Coach Africa, the one-stop shop for coaching in Africa. Coach Africa transforms bold dreams into reality as you step into your journey to being an exceptional coach or leader. If you would like to learn how Coach Africa can support you on your coaching or leadership journey, Please visit coachafrica.org or send me a direct message through LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram.